Michigan criminal defense attorney Bill Amadeo is standing by in cell block S. The jail visit starts now on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. All right, let's get the volume up. I am Bill Amadeo from... Like Madison Amadeo and Grable and Associates and And tonight we are going to tackle two topics. Number one, Catholic confessionals gone wrong. Can we get some backlash for this one? I don't know. Be interesting. <laughs> My aunt said to me. Revenge is a dish served best cold. And this was about that. Hey, Tina, how are you? And second, weird experience with baseball card shops. When I was a kid, one of the things we loved to do was go to uh, baseball card shops. And some of you know the story of how I sold my baseball cards to help advance our first purchase of a home in Ventnor. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into that. Chris, I'm kind of coming back into the baseball card industry a little bit. It's just different. Let's talk about those confessionals. As a kid, growing up a strong Catholic, one of the things they used to make us do at St. James, and I'm sure every Catholic school, was go to confession. Here was the problem with that. Now... I was an altar boy, very strong religious background. Baptism, first penance, first Holy Communion, your confirmation, went through the whole schmeal. I was an altar boy until my junior year of high school. I was very religious. But you know, we're taught in the Catholic faith, and I think it's kind of bullshit, but we're taught that what you say in the confessional is private. It's like talking to your lawyer. You tell your lawyer something, it's supposed to be sacred, right? Okay. So Father Sullivan, he was the main priest. And Sullivan used to always do confessionals. Well, here's the thing about Sullivan. Sullivan liked to drink. We always looked up to the bear. He was this pious figure so we thought and hey Lorian, how are you and um i'm like in eighth grade and i hated eighth grade man eighth grade there were so many assholes in eighth grade um just people i couldn't stand it was just a bad time but i told father Sullivan a confession i told about this girl i liked and like i had these thoughts i know what was going on and it was really I had a crush on this girl. I don't know anything about life at this point. And I said, and Father, I had these unpure thoughts. Okay, save five Hail Marys for our fathers. Okay. Now, you remember something about Sullivan. He's a drunk. May he rest in peace, but he was a drunk. And a little bit of liquor came in, and a little bit of truth came out. And one night, I'm working at the rectory. The rectory is where the priests live. And at the rectory, he would have all these parties where he would be drinking like a fish. 
and I hear all these priests laughing at me as I'm bringing in the food. He told them my confession. And here's these drunken assholes who, well, because they're priests, they can say anything they want, and they're sharing this 14, 13-year-old kid's confession as they're drinking their Johnny Walker Black, cutting up their corned beef, and laughing at me. Yeah, you understand something, okay? This is a no-go. This is where trust issues went completely wrong. And I'm sitting there, I said to Father Sullivan, how could you share with everybody my confession? He goes, ha, 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 and he's drinking. He goes, yeah, I'm going to toughen you up, kid. Like, holy shit. Sullivan just told my confession. I was all bitter about that. And, um... But, you know, whatever. And whenever I would see him years later, he'd laugh about it. I remember I told your confession. Then law school came. Well, let me tell you a little about Sullivan's confession. There were some times he would do a confession, and they would go till 9 o'clock on Thursdays. And my aunt, my, my aunt, my godmother, she was the mother who raised me. I love Aunt Mary so much. But Aunt Mary said, Billy, you're in law school. You're dating a lot of different girls. You're doing this, you're doing that. I want you to go to confession when you're back in town. Okay. <sighs> now, here was the thing at this confessional. There was like a wall up. So you didn't know what priest you were going to get. But I told Aunt Mare I would go to confession. So, I'm just saying a confession ended at 9. I got there at like 7. I'm going to be in and out, right? But I see Sullivan walk out behind the wall. And I know that's where he's working that night. Like, alright dude, you know what? Payback's a bitch. Now Sullivan, he loved to go drinking right after he heard people's confessions. You know, and there's two ways to look at that, right? One way you'd say to yourself, well, he was so stressed out from hearing these confessions. Another is like, you know, he was just an asshole. And he'd be drinking and laughing about it. Now, I know he wants to drink. So, I get into the confession box about 8.57 p.m. And I'm going to extract my revenge what he did to me when I was 14. And I get into the confession box. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. How long's it been since your last confession, son? Ooh, it's been about ten years. He goes, what do you want to confess? I said, well, you know what, Father? I got a lot to tell you. So here, part of what I'm going to do right now is torture this guy. I know he wants to drink at nine o'clock. I got in there at 8.58. I got to make Aunt Mare happy. I'm going to piss this son of a bitch off for what in my trust when I was 13 years old. So I'm going to milk this confession as long as I can. Okay? Thank you, Cousin Fran. You're right. I'm going to milk this confession as long as I can and make sure he's going to have a miserable night where he can't drink right away. So I get in the confessional box and I say, ah, I got to tell you, I took the Lord's name in vain. How many times did you do it? So I start going through over and over again. Well, in 2004... I was taking the LSAT, so I cursed a lot. He goes, okay. I said, no, 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 I'm not done, Father. 
and I'm going, and I'm milking the clock on this son of a bitch. I want him to feel the pain I felt at 13 years old. And then I'm like embracing in conversation. I want to shake him up a little bit. And I said, okay, father, I got a question for you. What about coveting somebody else's wife? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, there's this girl I like in school. She's not married, but she has a boyfriend. Is that coveting someone's wife? Because I think we should discuss this. And he's like really stressed out. Oh, and then there was that time I took an extra Snicker bar from ShopRite when I was like 12. We got to go over that, father. And I am torturing this guy. You know what? You broke my trust at 14. Now I'm going to break down the sea of alleged sins I made and make sure you can't drink your goddamn Johnny Walker Black that night on time. Yeah. So... I got in there 8.58, about 10.15, I'm finally done babbling on about my confession. And he goes, you know, everything you told me tonight, I need you to do 100 Hail Marys, 100 Our Fathers. And I said to him, what if I don't do it? What are you going to do if I don't do what you're ordering me to do? You know, I'm frustrated because courts speak through their orders, right? Well, priests, this is their orders. These confessionals. I was really pissed. So I told him, I'm not going to do what you told me to do. I don't care. Then he was giving me this lecture, reading me Bible quotes. And I said, hey, remember when I was 13 and you told me about my confession? I'm screaming at him in the confessional. I like the janitor cleaning up. I was like, what the hell's going on there? It was a good memory. Point to the story. Revenge is never on our time. But if you wait long enough, I promise you it's a great, great thing to do. I told him off. Anyway. I want to pull up baseball card shops lately. It's going to be a short one tonight. Lately, I've gotten back into the baseball card game. And Matt and I had this plan to, like, buy a bunch of baseball cards and sell them by the end of the year. And turn it into a new property for the firm. And I got to tell you, every county has different baseball card shops. You gotta watch yourself in these counties. First thing I want to recommend is, if you go to Lapeer, you shouldn't go to a baseball card shop with a suit and tie on. But if you're leaving court, what choice do you have? I'm gonna tell you a few things that happened. I go to this baseball card shop in the middle of nowhere, and there's a conversation going on with the people in the shop. What was a better football set? Was it the 84 tops? Was it the 86 tops? Which one was better? And these guys are yapping and yapping. I'm trying to look at these old wax boxes. And I said, hey, guys, can I jump in this conversation? Now, you understand something. Number one, you should never jump into a conversation when it's not your hometown and you don't know these people. Number two, you're in a suit and tie. They don't want to hear you. But I had to jump in. So I start saying how the 81 Tops football set is the best football set of the 80s. And this guy's getting furious. You know, and I'm telling you, well, you got Montana, you got Art Monk, and we're going back and forth. It ends up in this screaming match. Bad idea. Just a horrible idea. Later in time, I go to Oakland County. Now, Oakland County, nothing against you guys in Oakland County, but everything in Oakland is like they don't look at price tags 86 tops baseball 500 bucks for a wax box why because you're in oakland county 
you know, the last thing I want to talk about is in Jackson County. Jackson County's got this baseball card show, or so they say. And they got, like, this guy looks like the comic book guy from The Simpsons in there. If you go in there and you ask for baseball cards, they get furious. They only sell comics there. It has been weird. And what I'm trying to do is, like, relive my youth by buying these baseball cards and reliving what I went through by selling the cards. And I'm running into people that, no offense, but they're geeks. Most people that collect baseball cards in their 40s have not really been successful with the opposite sex or in life. But we have these things that bring us together. Anyway, sorry for the rant, but Father Sullivan pissed me off. If you ever have a chance to get even with a priest that broke the vow of confession, I highly recommend you do it. And do it by going towards the end of their shift, making sure they can't drink. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I've been doing jail visits since 5 a.m. Joe Abera, what's up? Joe, we need to talk later because I want to get four of those SummerSlam tickets. Me, you, Becca, and Adam Cartwright. I'll let you pick out the tickets. We'll talk about that later. But I am going to SummerSlam in Detroit. And I haven't watched wrestling in years, but I'm going to go to SummerSlam. It's here. What the hell? Isn't like today day two of WrestleMania? I don't know. I was watching the Final Four last night. And then I um, got a call for the jail visits today. And uh, Scott Grable is giving me a lot of shit. Here's a fun fact about Scott Grable. Many people don't know. And I didn't notice. Did you know that the forty-year-old virgin was a biography about Scott Grable? I, I I was shocked. Steve Carell killed the Scott Grable character in the forty-year-old virgin. So Scotty, glad to see you get over the hump, buddy. Anyway, today now that we're done bashing Scott Grable for being the star of the forty-year-old virgin, I want to talk about three things today and these were different events festivities in my life because people keep asking me different stuff the first tour when i was 18 years old i'm gonna tell you 18 year old bill amadeo that was some weird stuff going on there you're poor you're in the ghetto you're going to community college you're a bar porter at tropicana the first event is going to be a banquet i was a bar porter at, at tropicana the second is when I had a brief stay in the theater group at Atlantic Cape Community College. And then the third thing is going to be a Dean's List party at Cooley. Fascinating stuff, yeah. Let's kick it back to the year 1995. I am an 18-year-old bar porter. And as a bar porter, what that is, is basically a busboy for the bartender. You would cut the fruit set the ice, get the glasses together. I am working full-time, going to college full-time. And it kind of sucked. Um. <laughs> oh, good to see Grable Associates is chiming in. Scott, did you get up yet? You sent me to jails at 5 in the morning. I wasn't sure if you got up yet. You usually don't get up before noon. Good to see you up, bud. So, I'm an 18-year-old bar porter. And the nerds are playing at Tropicana. Let me tell you about 
let me tell you about the nerds. There were two really famous, by New Jersey standards, local bands. There were the nerds, and there were fuzzy bunny slippers. If you were a child of the 90s, you know, of New Jersey, you know the nerds or fuzzy, fuzzy bunny slippers. And we're at this party at Tropicana. I was in school all day. Now I'm getting ready to bartend. Carl Rutledge is the bartender. May he rest in peace, but Carl Rutledge was a demanding bartender. He had to have your fruit cut a certain way, your ice this way. He would always lose the ice scooper. He was a pain in the ass. He'd come in and work for an hour, get paid for eight. And he was kind of like a real grinder on this whole bar porting thing. And the band's amazing. But what really sucked, what really sucked for me was this night, the nerds are playing. And I'm a nerds fan because we were all nerds fan back then, right? I mean, I know you weren't their live audience, but... If you were a kid in South Jersey, this was the band you wanted to see locally. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm bar portering, well, cool. I will be able to, <laughs> you know, Scott, can you please just shut up? I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be able to watch this band, make some money, do my thing. What happens? Well, as luck would have it, there's other people my age at this event. And here come the Margate kids. And the Margate kids in 1995, playing with the nose candy, and I'm going to bash Margate right now. Skynet will offend you. The rich assholes from South Jersey would come to the casino with their fake IDs, not tip you as they get their drinks, Use their little nose candy. And here they are at their own summer break while I'm going to community college. And they're all kind of mocking me. Oh, you're a bar porter. How great is that? And I'm sitting there in my Tropicana uniform serving drinks to these assholes. I'm like, you know, one day you pieces of shit. And you're trying to enjoy the music. And the nerds were kicking ass. They were killing it. But your night's kind of spoiled, because the people you can't stand that you knew from high school, remember that separation, the rich versus the poor, we were poor back then? They're all there, ordering drinks for you with their fake IDs, and it really sucked. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be a way out. You know, and I'll say, I learned more behind the bar than I ever learned studying for the bar exam. Let me be very clear on that. Life experience is fascinating. It was more valuable than those books. We'll get into those books later. And as I'm watching the women of South Jersey, and let me tell you about the girls of South Jersey in the 90s. Pretty girls, big hair. When you think Jersey girl, that's what was there. And I noticed that all the good-looking girls were there with either members of the band or local lawyers in the area. Now, you're studying this, right? You're thinking, huh. Well, I know I'm going to play in a band or go to law school at some point. 
I was inspired by that night bar porting at the Nerds to start my own band. And the famed band was called No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. It was me and four of my friends. And let me just tell you something. And I learned this the hard way. If you are a straight edge guy who's not a good singer and is a bit of a bookworm, you are probably not going to make it as a rock star in South Jersey. The nerds explained to me I was really a nerd. So, no good deed went unpunished was an epic fail. They really got a hang of those little books. And I just remember being so friggin' motivated. All these assholes are at my bar getting their drinks. I'm cutting the lemons. I'm doing the ice. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And I know, I know you guys are laughing about No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. That was the name of our band. It was very, um, it didn't work, you know? Um, it just didn't work out, you know? We sucked. We got gigs. And people were really... Let me tell you. When you are a lousy performer in South Jersey, people get hostile. We are not tolerating that shit. Remember, like, being on this bus, going to, like, this dive bar. I was the singer of the band, Aaron. And if you heard me sing before, you know that's not good. I also had some dance moves that didn't work out well. But, um, yeah, we, we weren't good. But, uh, well, I knew that night, though. Okay, let me be clear. The guys that were in the band and the lawyers were getting the good-looking girls. I had to achieve one of these things, right? I'm pissed off at the Margate assholes blowing their coke and stiffing me at the bar. I'm sick of cutting these goddamn lemons. It was either read a book or sing. All right, the singing thing that was a horrible fail. Epic. It really was horrible, man. I I can't sing. Um, you know, people say, ah, all you need to do is get drunk. Why well, don't drink? So, didn't work out. The Nerds were a great band, though. And that, that night was a motivator for me. While at Atlantic Community College, ACC, where I went, because, you know, you went to ACC because, number one, you know, I was going to play professional baseball. And I was going to start a community college. Yeah. My baseball career, as Scott Grable will tell you, rivaled my singing career. Yeah, I, um, I wasn't good at hitting a curveball. I tried. I tried. Something about being dyslexic and a pole moving didn't work well. I mean, I got away with it for years. It worked really hard, but it just, no. But I started going to community college to play travel baseball, and I'm, so I'm playing ball, I'm taking 16 credits, I'm bartending at Tropicana, and I decide, what the hell, let's try the theater. Now, the people in charge of the theater at Atlantic Community College in the 90s, hmm, how do I put this without hurting too many feelings? Let me tell you who was involved. Because I was a writer for years, and this is no offense to writers. Josh, if you're watching, this is no disrespect. But writers can be a weird group. 
writers and theater people hanging together at community college. And there were two potential films we were going to do. One was Guyana Tragedy. That was a movie about the Jonestown tragedy that Powers Booth played in 1980. And the head of the theater department really liked Powers Booth. He was on this whole Powers Booth kick. Or the Caucasian Chalk Circle. They went with the Caucasian Chalk Circle. And the Caucasian Chalk Circle, if you ever watched it, 1948 German film, was about a peasant woman that becomes an amazing mother. I won't bore you with the details. It sucks. And I played the role of a peasant. Which, they say you nailed it. <laughs> I was a poor kid! Yeah, I, I hit it out the park. Um, with that being said, these people were really arrogant. You know, I mean, and this is a different time for me. I'm 18 years old. I'm learning that older cocktail waitresses like me. I'm in between two worlds, and I'm seeing these geeks in the theater eating their cheese and crackers and sipping on $10 bottles of wine like they were high-end, like they were conquering the world's problems. But remember something. We're at community college. We are bottom of the barrel. So to me, it was a motivator. What I learned from some of these other people is they, this is what they aspired to be. Everybody in that group wanted to be a big fish in a small pond. But what you learned as you're going to these rehearsals is that they were small fishes in a tiny pond. And one thing led to another. Um, I was working a lot. And the casting director, yes, the casting director at Atlantic Cape Community College. They said to me, you have to make a decision. You either have to quit working at Tropicana or dedicate yourself to the theater. This wasn't a hard decision for me. As you may know, we were living in the hood. I would buy my first house a year later. And shockingly, Tropicana paid a lot more than the theater group at Community College. And uh, I bounced to work. And the casting director said to me, that will be the greatest mistake you ever made, quitting this and going to the workforce. That casting director is still there today. Obviously, she's lit the world on fire. She's at Atlantic Cape Community College in 2023. I mean, only the best in performing arts go to Atlanta Community College. See what I did there? Okay. So, <laughs> let me preface how exhausted I am. Let me just be clear about that. Because the weirdness is coming out, right? All right. A Dean's List party at Cooley. This is years later. You know, at Cooley... Cooley Law School was an interesting place. We all went to Cooley because nobody else wanted us. Let's be clear about that. Now, many of us got into other places and we stayed because we wanted the bullshit that Cooley was a family. Cooley's not a family, man. I remember Cooley trying to destroy my tutoring business. I remember Cooley not giving me a $15-an-hour job in the registrar's office. Now Cooley is gracious enough to send me requests for donations. Thanks, guys. Can you break a nickel? Um, with that being said... 
when you made the Dean's list at Cooley, it was time to party. And let me tell you what that meant. You got to go to an event where some Dean would preach to you how you are the best and the brightest. Well, if you got a 3.0 at Cooley, obviously you're ready to set the world on fire. Let me tell you the journey of law school and law, okay? Because it's all bullshit. They don't teach you how to be a lawyer in law school. They don't. It's a misnomer. And Aaron Abera, if you decide to go to law school, you'd be an amazing lawyer. I will help you with the reminder that you're just using this to take the bar because it doesn't mean a goddamn thing. The system they do in law school is all bullshit. You get the grades in college to take the LSAT. You take the LSAT to get into law school. You get the grades in law school to take the bar exam. You then take the bar exam, and then nobody teaches you shit about how to practice law. It's a $150,000 Ponzi scheme. I said it. It's bullshit. Let me tell you, being a good lawyer means getting your ass to the goddamn jail at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yes, I haven't lost that. I see these lawyers, like, when they start making money, well, they're not going to do that anymore. Well, that's what got us the money. That's what brought us there. Don't lose who you are, unless you were faking it to begin with. And you're with all these assholes at these Dean's List parties. And I'm sitting there, like, this is a bunch of geeks, right? And the worst part is they're geeks that couldn't get in any other law school. So they found their niche. This is the big fish, small pond shit. And they're talking about their grades, how they're going to light the world on fire. Let me tell you why I got good grades in law school. Let me be very clear about this. Here's what I knew, because I think grades are highly overrated. I trained myself to be amazing at multiple choice and essay writing for one reason. Scott Grable, shut up. I knew if I did well enough in law school, I could sit for the bar exam. And if I could sit for the bar exam and pass, I wouldn't have to go back to bartending. So I didn't do good in law school because of brilliance. I did good in law school because of fear. I was always going to work my ass off, right? But it was now or never. So the journey's a joke. They don't teach you how to be a lawyer. It's all bullshit. It's a scheme. It's a scam. And if law schools were really going to make good lawyers, what they would do is two things. Teach you how to pass the bar exam and teach you how to practice law. There are two things they're lacking, not just the cool, we probably guess everywhere. The reason why MSU and the University of Michigan have higher bar passage rate than Cooley is because for years they trained their students how to pass the bar. At Cooley, had a bunch of professors giving their version of the law. And many of those professors couldn't survive in the real world. We've tried to hire them when they got fired, and many of them sucked. So these Dean's List parties were a bunch of nobodies who did really well on the Nelson Denny test and kicked ass and won little book awards at Cooley and did their thing. And let me tell you, I have nothing against those people at those Dean's List parties. I'm still friends with many of them. They come when they need to borrow money. See what I did there? Alright. That's it for today. I'm so tired. And Scott Grable won't shut the hell up. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and the Shiawassee Six. And what we learned today 
is that just being a bar porter at 18 could be great motivation. Maybe not to be a great singer, but to go to law school. Theater groups at community college are generally bullshit. And those deans list party in law school, you'd be much better off doing some real-world externships. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. You know, sometimes in life, we have issues we have to deal with. And lately, I've realized a lot of things. Um... Number one, I know I've been arrogant lately, um, extremely arrogant, and that needs a change. And it's it's Lent, right? And when you when you're during Lent, growing up a strong Catholic, it was a time to reflect. It was a time to sacrifice. And I've decided that I found a new religion. And the religion kind of just, it spoke to me. And I, you know, I don't know why live audience is laughing right now. It's not funny. It's my life we're talking about. After a lot of soul searching, I've decided, you know, people are laughing right now. And I don't appreciate it, but I've decided to join the Latvian Orthodox religion. What? I've become Lathian Orthodox. Well, I'm trying to become Lathian Orthodox. It's a beautiful religion out of Lathia. Now, to join this religion, I met with some of the elders. And they told me there were things I had to do. And it was confusing to me. I'd understand some of these things. You know? I did not understand why they wanted me to do these things. But first they told me I had to study these books. And these were big books. And I asked them, is there a faster way to do it? I was really anxious to join the faith. They told me I had the Kavorka. I know what that meant. I had to get these like garlic leaves and it was horrible. They told me I had to go drugs and alcohol. I had no problem with that. I don't use drugs or alcohol. I never have. But here's where things went wrong. They went wrong, okay? They told me I had to go with my arrogance. And I told them, I'm not arrogant. I grew up poor in Atlantic City, New Jersey. It's one of the only white kids. And I became one of the top criminal lawyers in Michigan. And let me tell you, they should shut up. That's what we're talking about. You never stop talking about yourself. If you want to be part of Latin Orthodox faith, then damn it, you got to make some changes. It's like, holy shit, they're right. I'm an arrogant prick. It's got to stop. So, what do I do to become Latin Orthodox? Now, let me tell you about the Latin Orthodox people. They do some research on you. They said to me, the first thing you have to do to truly show your member of faith is write a large check. But they would prefer cash because that's what good religious people do. They give cash. Okay. So I went in with a lot of cash. Am I good to go now? 
could like buy your way into the Latvian Orthodox faith? No. You have some hoops to jump through. And the first thing you need to do is you stop talking about yourself. We need you to be humbled. Okay. Lathian Orthodox, Scott Grable. Lathian Orthodox. It's a very special religion from Lathia. You would know that if you were more cultured. Anyway. There were tasks. I undertook those tasks. I tried. And, um, it didn't go well. But let me say something. They explained to me, the head Lathian, that it wasn't just about succeeding in these tasks, not humbling yourself to do these tasks. And then he also started rambling that the best criminal defense lawyers were also Shriners. I didn't know what that meant. I digress. I'm not a Shriner. So the first step you had to do was number one. I had to apply to be a detective at the Ypsilanti Police Department. Now this was this was different, right? Because you know Ypsilanti PD and they, they don't like me. I don't know what to do. So I went in there, suit and tie, had a resume. Somebody get the hell out of there. I I didn't understand. So I went back to the head Lathian and I'm like, hey. They basically screamed at me. He goes, that's okay. Hold on. Mike, can you hear me? The sound just went down. Is the sound back? Let me know if the sound is back, please. Okay, cool. So the first thing the Lathians made me do is apply for a job as a detective at Slaney Police Department. That didn't work. So I went back to the head Lathian, Latias. And I said, Mr. Latias, what do I do next? He said, you have to apply to be an assistant attorney general. You tell Dana Nessel that you want to be on her team. Like, ooh, this won't go well, Mr. Lathius. Because now, do it. So I went there. Nessel kicked me out of the office. Now, what he's trying to do, guys, and I hope you understand, he's trying to humble me, and I'm I want to be part of his faith. So whatever he does, like joining a great fraternity. What's next? He says the board of commissioners in Shiawassee. I'm like, what? But Boggs. What about Brian Boggs? He'll never want me. No. He goes deeper than that. You have to be Jeremy Root's wingman. Excuse me? What do I have to do? Be Jeremy Root's wingman. And I said to him... Look, number one, I'm married. Number two, I don't find Cindy Garver physically attractive. And he's screaming, do you care about the calls? I called Root and get back to me. 
Um, something about Legos, I don't know. So, as I'm on this quest to find my faith, I go back to Lathius and I say, what do I do next? Because I want you to apply to be a worker at the Register's Office at Cooley Law School. And I said, Lathius, I tried this in 2009. They didn't take me. Scott Harrison, the head of human resources, said, no, we're not hiring you for $15 an hour. You're not qualified. But I went back. They said no. So the rejection is adding up. And all I want to do is prove to Lathius that I want to be part of his faith. And the stress is getting to me. I start losing my hair. You know? And I don't know. What, what do you do next? How do I make it into this organization? What can I do to prove to Lathius that I belong? And he says to me, you need to find your inner panther. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, look in your gym bag. Now, this is some cutting edge shit, right? I'm like, okay, I look in my gym bag. What am I looking at? You're a Dylan Panther fan, aren't you, son? I am? He goes, I know you wear those Panther t-shirts all the time. He goes, but it's not about wearing the t-shirts. To be a true Latvian Orthodox, you need to find your inner Panther. And then he asked me for some more money. So he said, you could do one of two things. You could find your inner panther or give us a lot more money. Like, wow, I already gave you a lot of cash. I just want to be part of the group. So if money's going to buy me, and he goes, no. We now want the money and your inner panther. Like, whoa, this is work. It's going horrible for me. So I give him more cash. So how do I find my inner panther? And he said to me, only you know the answer to that. Now, I don't know what this means. So I'm talking to my trainer at the gym, and I'm like, hey, how do I find my inner panther? They're all looking like I'm crazy. I take matters in my own hands. This is a sign, right? How do I find my inner panther to become a member of the Lathian Orthodox faith. So I think, what are they trying to tell me? How can I evolve? How can I be better? I hope you guys are paying attention home because this is about us all being better. So I think, okay, Panther. It's like when they sang that song downtown and George Costanza couldn't figure out what it was about. So I think, okay, Dylan Panthers. I called DirecTV. Well, first of all, I called NBC. Can you help me? They said, no, call DirecTV. Because as we know, Friday Night Lights got transferred to DirecTV for seasons four and five. So I tried to call DirecTV. But because it was lightly raining outside, they weren't available. And you couldn't watch TV either. So then I said, okay, so Dylan Panthers can't be the answer. So then I called the Black Panthers, and that went terribly wrong. What do I do? I don't know. I called the Pink Panther. And this is when things got a little heated. Somehow, 
when I'm Cole and the Pink Panther, they're trying to sell me Owings Corning. They're not talking to me clearly. We get into the screen match about Inspector Gadget. I explained that Brain and Penny were the brains behind the operation. Pink Panther hangs up. I then called the Carolina Panthers. They had enough problems. They need to hear from me. So then I went back to Lathius. I don't know what to do. He said, you can only take three more cases until April 1st, after April 1st. And you need to focus on lemon production in Northern Michigan. Like, what do you mean? He goes, the lemons will be game changers. And he squeezed these lemons. I know what the hell was going on. And then I talked to Matt McManus about it. And I'm confused, right? Like, okay, I don't get this. Ipsilanti PD don't want me. Cooley's not hiring me. Dana Nessel's kicking me out of the office. Um, this Panther thing is when terribly awry. I'm upsetting everybody. Matt said it's about carrier pigeons. Like, what? We're only going to take cases relating to violations of carrier pigeon abuse. And he cited the Carrier Pigeon Abuse and Neglect Act. An act dating back to 1740, and it hit me. If I did the carrier pigeon abuse cases, I gave all my money to Lathius, we'd be good to go. And, um, I didn't work either. So now, here I am. I can't talk about myself. Nobody wants to hire me. I didn't get into Lathian Orthodox faith. Lathius did tell me as I was leaving the door that if he catches a CSC case he would give me a call. Other than that, he had no interest in talking to me. And that hurt. It hurt a lot, guys. Alright. <laughs> so, anyway, as I'm sure some of you called on, I couldn't do the prosecutor thing anymore, so this is my early version of April Fool's joke. And if you're a Seinfeld fan, I hope you called on Hey Kelsey Kels. Lathian Orthodox faith is when George Costanza tried to join it. I hope this was on that pick fail. All right, I'm Bill Hamadeh. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 
by calling 800-392-7311.